Hey everyone, it's our season finale. Want to give a big thanks to all of our guests, partners, and most importantly, you, our listeners. We already have an exciting season eight in the works with some amazing guests, but first, the Beyond the Plate team is going to take a short break. So please make sure you stay tuned by hitting that subscribe button on your podcast player or follow us on social media at BT Plate Podcast and at On Cappy's Plate. And Beyond the Plate would not be Beyond the Plate without the amazing team that brings this podcast to life. So a very special shout out to the best in the biz. Ian Cohen, Joel Yetten, Sean Petrosian, and Sarah McClellan, me. Enjoy this week's episode. Let's do a little audio test. We test everyone differently. For Jacques Pepin, per se, we had him name five herbs. For Jonathan Waxman, we had him name five of his favorite farmer's market ingredients. So for you, I hear this thing where you have you use over like 200 spices or something in your spice cabinet. So can you name top five spices everybody should have in their spice cabinet? I would say definitely uh, Sarawak black pepper. Well, we've put my favorite one, nutmeg. I'm French, so we cook a lot with nutmeg. So nutmeg, definitely. Uh, I will put clove for bouillon. I love to use that for the bouillon, the clove. It's three now. Huh? I love cinnamon. I cook uh, with cinnamon a lot. And uh, one last one, uh, I will say but turmeric is not a spice. Huh? Yeah, it could be a spice. Turmeric, I love turmeric. You sound great. Let's rock. <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. This is a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you listened before, we're glad you're back. We hope this episode inspires you to cook or possibly do some good today as these chefs inspire us. And we're grateful to our partners who make this podcast a reality. With that... This episode is brought to you by... Us, our merchandise, otherwise known as merch. Heard. Hi, Ian. Everyone, our executive producer, Ian. Hey, Cappy. Is this the same merch that I see Jacques Papin wearing on his Instagram? Why, yes, it is, Ian. Same merch, Wolfgang Puck has, and Michael Simon, and Rachel Wright. Yes, and yes, 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 yes. Wait, wait, and me. Yes, 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 Ian. It's the same merch. We are a little biased, but we love our merch and apparently other people do too. So if you want to check out our super soft t-shirts and hoodies and hats, all you have to do is go to beyondtheplatemerch.com. We'll also link to it in the podcast player that you are currently listening on right now. Again, that's beyondtheplatemerch.com. Enjoy this week's episode. I think that was perfect. I kind of like that we did that. <laughs> that was great. That was actually great. <laughs> yeah. All right, go pick up your kids. All right, today's guest is a chef, restaurateur, author, TV personality, and father. He's one of the most influential chefs in Los Angeles and credited with igniting the pop-up restaurant phenomenon. At the age of 14, he trained in France for 12 years with some of the best chefs in the world before heading to the U.S. and starting to wrap up a few athletes. You may know him from his food truck, Ludo Truck, his fried chicken concept, Ludo Bird, or from one of his award-winning restaurants. He's the author of two cookbooks and has been part of a number of TV shows, including The Mind of a Chef, ABC's hit cooking competition, The Taste, Rat in the Kitchen, his web series, Ludo a la Maison, and more. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with my fellow father of twins, Chef Ludo Lefebvre. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Ça va? How are you, Chef? Congrats on the twins' fifth grade graduation. was great. Well, I finished in the hospital. My son hurt himself. I went to the hospital. Oh, no. What happened? He fell down the stairs and uh, opened his shin, had stitches, broke these legs. I mean, amazing. Oh, it was a no. good graduation. 
Oh my gosh. It's life. It's life. It's okay. It's okay. It's the wrong thing. One of our twins rolled off the couch and had to get two staples in the back of his head. So we're, you know, we're on the same track here, maybe. You see? Exactly. But it's okay. So the kids are okay. So it's good. I love it. Good, good, good. All right, let's dive in. So you're 13, 14 years old. You're interested in becoming a chef. Your father's trying to talk you out of this idea. So he brings you to a local restaurant in Burgundy called Maxime, thinking you're going to hate it. Do I have this right so far? Yeah, you're right. All right, take us back to that day. Or that morning? That morning when I arrived in the kitchen, it was very early in the morning. It was cold outside, dark. It was very early. And the chef was there alone. He made me come early before everybody. And he made me sit down in this office, I mean this kitchen, and uh, explain to me how it's going to be my week, what I'm going to do. And I think it was great. It was great communication. I know what to expect. I mean, he told me I'm going to peel potato, clean vegetable. Uh, help to clean the dishes, help to clean the kitchen. But uh, I was okay with that. It was just like, yeah, yeah, great. I was very excited to be in the kitchen. Were you nervous going into that day? Yeah, definitely. I was very nervous. I didn't know what to expect. I never walked in the kitchen. I mean, I spent time in the kitchen with my mom, my grandma, you know, doing bread, my uncle. But I was never really in the professional kitchen. And at that time, the kitchen was not nice like now. It was a little more intense, the kitchen. The chef, where I was going to walk, scream a lot at people, crazy. It was crazy, scary. When you scare of somebody, the chef at that time was always very scary. Yeah. How long were you there? I was there, it was just for two weeks. My dad was doing vacation. And my dad wants to know if I'm going to like to cook. I mean, you know, I love to eat and love to cook, but to work in the kitchen is a little different. It's like to be in the army. At that time, it was like to be in the army. It was a kitchen life. So was he expecting you to come out of there and say, I hate this, I don't want to cook, but you came out of there loving it? I don't know why my dad don't want me to... I mean, it's not he don't want me to be a chef, but he was to make sure I'm going to like it, to be a chef. I'm talking in the 80s, you know, 1980. 86, 87, you know, something like that. So at that time, cooking was not like now, like everybody now wants to be a chef or whatever. At that time, it was not like that. You know, he was a chef, really. It was not popular like now. So my dad was surprised. Did someone or something inspire you to want to be in the kitchen that young? I mean, more my grandma, she was cooking a lot. And I think the most important thing is Mm -hmm. as a kid, I love to eat. I just love to eat. It was really my thing, eating. I love it. Like when my mom was not working the weekend, I always ask her, Friday night, I know she wasn't talking. Mama, what we eat this weekend? What we to cook for me? I mean, I love to eat. Did mom and dad cook or was it mostly mom? Just my mom, my mom and my grandma. Were you in the kitchen at a young age? With my family, with my mom. Helping and, mom? Yeah, yeah. A lot, yeah, a lot. Yeah, doing bread, doing crepe. I mean, my, my grandma was very patient with me and she take care of me a lot when my mom was working. So I was always with my grandma and my grandma, she was home. She, she was always cooking for the family. She was a grandma at home. It was great. I spent a lot of time with her in the kitchen. You did. So something great happened on April 18th. I'm not talking about our recent Beyond the Plate guest, Kristen Kish getting married. I'm not talking about my birthday. I'm talking about your birthday. Is that right? Yeah, April 18th. It's your birthday too? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Wow. Yeah. Take us back a little more. I love this. To Burgundy. France in the 70s, like young Ludo. What were you into? That time, Burgundy was really very peaceful, more than now, definitely. Things change. But uh, the lifestyle over there was very slow. People enjoy the weekend. People work the week. 
and you just every weekend you always invited people in your house or you invited somewhere so every weekend it was i remember in my house it was a big party in my house of somebody else home i love it and but i love that time really like when you see the adults really spending time together drinking and i was playing with my friend my cousin and at what point of the day we all sit down together a big table and sharing food i remember that it was great i love it i love the table set up it's happiness and the fight. I think, of course, you have fights. It's not always, suppose the family will always fight together. I remember there was some big fight too. I mean, and happiness. You no, know, I just, that's life. I love this lifestyle. Like you work five days and you have two days weekend where you just party, enjoy life. Were the big family dinners mostly on weekends, like you mentioned, or also throughout the week, weekend? Every Sunday for lunch after church. Do you remember first things you ever cooked? Was that like the bread and things like that? Bread and crepe. And a lot of baking, of course, in the beginning. I did not cook duck or stuff like that. Lamb, when I was young with my family, it was more baking, cooking steak sometimes. But it was more, yeah, baking, crab, bread, more stuff like that. But I love it. It was great. I just love it. You started cooking, your first kitchen was 13, 14. You were still in school at that time? Yeah, I was still in school. I was, we call that an apprenticeship in France, an apprenticeship. And the apprenticeship is almost three years. But during the years, during one month, you spend three weeks in the restaurant and one week at school. It was cool. It was about an apprenticeship. So you can start that at 14 years old. It was great. I love and it. So that started at 14, the apprenticeship program. Yeah, it was great. I love it. It was great. I love to be in the kitchen. I love wow. it. Wow. So you spent 12 years apprenticing or working with some of the best chefs in France. Yeah, yeah with Marc Menot, Pierre Gagnère, Alain Passard. You know. Is there anything you love about that? Or? I love the discipline. I love to be a perfectionist every day. You know, you want the, the meat to cut like that. You want to the dish to be plate like that, cook like that. I love like to be a perfectionist. I love that. I love, I love detail. And when I was a kid, I love that. And I love the pressure. Still, it was not easy, of course, to be in the kitchen at 14 years old with 25 cooks. It was a lot of people and I was the last one, the apprenticeship. So all the things uh, they don't want to do, they give to me. How long is that apprenticeship program? Uh, it was two years. And I have two years. Did you ever question if you were doing the right thing at any time during that? No. I was very excited to be in the kitchen. I was really, well, I really love it. I didn't know what to do. I know I love to cook, but I did not know at that time if I want to have my own restaurant or work for somebody. I did not see my future yet in cooking, but I was doing that because I like it. So in 1996, you moved to LA. Moved to LA in 1996. What brought you to that decision? Just to see something different than French food and a different culture. I know we're going to say in America, it's not really the culture for food or to come here. But as a young kid, I always want to come to work in America. I was obsessed with USA and I have a lot of opportunity to work in New York, in Chicago, LA, of course, San Francisco. And I picked Los Angeles because... Uh, it was a very good French restaurant called Laurangerie. It was a French restaurant and the owner was French. I met him in Paris and I was feeling comfortable. They make my, make my visa. I mean, I was legal. I mean, I love it. Because sometimes you can go to work in different country or but the visa is a little complicated at that time. It was, but I was very legal. It was, everything was planned. It was great. I love it. I come to Los Angeles. Did you have a certain expectation of LA, like from a culinary standpoint, or was it mainly low injury? No idea but to expect about Los Angeles. You know, I mean, I grew up watching American series and a lot there, you know, in Los Angeles. And at that time, the series was very famous in France. It's called Baywatch. 
Everybody was watching. They watch, guys. I was so excited to go to LA to see all this live guard, the lifestyle, or whatever. You know, it was it was the way I see LA. It was great doing the series, the TV series. What were your hopes and dreams at that point? Were you going to go for a little bit, learn LA, go to another city, or did you intend to go back to France? What did you think? I have no idea what to expect, and uh, I love LA right away. Of course, after six months, I was in love with Los Angeles. And oh. after the opportunity to be the chef at uh, Laurent Jury, the head chef, after six months, I was there. So I take the job. But I was thinking to stay like two or three years, you know, maybe. I was young and I want to really travel around the world. And I get this amazing opportunity to be the chef at 25 years old in the Rolais Chateau restaurant. And uh, I take the job. And I was thinking to stay, like I said, two, three years, and I stay at Florangerie for seven years. On that flight over, did you already have that opportunity to start working at Florangerie, or did you go to LA not knowing where you were going to work? Sorry, so when I came here, I already have a job. Like I was working at Florangerie. Yes, I have a job as a chef de party, no chef de party, a chef, uh, not chef yet, but chef de party, I have a job. Visa, job, roommate, American roommate, it was great. It was, uh, everything was playing. It was good. Yeah, I was. How old were you again at that time? 24. 24. Is there anything you wish you would have known before coming to the U.S.? Speak English better. I'm still now. I used to say, come here, I didn't know I was not speaking English. I was a punk when I was young. I learned a textbook and I never really want to learn English. Why do you want me to learn another language? And I don't know why I was so stubborn. I never really studied very well English. And uh, I came in America, we're not speaking English. No, it was great. You had some of the best experience under your belt. Like what was going through your mind? Like, did you come in like, like a young, cocky punk or yeah, you a young, a punk yeah french no very french like i know everything about cooking you know french people how we are guys we know everything it was the best i come to work in this fancy french restaurant and i was very proud you know i worked very hard in my life for where i was at 25 and, and i was proud to go work in the very french fancy restaurant but I was a little cocky, yeah, definitely. You were at Laundry probably from 96 to yes. like 2002? Yeah. Two, two, three, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. This is crazy. So I was in culinary school. My externship was at Four Seasons LA, but I almost did my externship at Laundry because it was on our list. Really? How, wow, that's that would have been crazy. That I would have gotten yelled at from you or something yeah. like that as a no, lawyer. I don't yell, I express myself. <laughs> But I was so young at that time, 25 years old to be a chef. I take the opportunity, but it was a very strong responsibility. You don't realize how to manage a kitchen. It's very difficult to be a leader, a leader. And it's not just cooking to be a chef. It's interesting. I, we've heard that recently. Like Jonathan Waxman, we had this season. He was the original chef of Michael's. He was like yeah, 24. Of course, yeah. And then at Brooke Williamson out there, she was like the sous chef of Michael's. She was like 19. She's like, I was young. I didn't know what the... Hell, I was yeah, doing. I yeah. was still 19 when I was becoming a chef de partie with three missions. But I was young. I understand. I didn't know if I want to continue to be a chef. It was just more fun than, I mean, I love cooking. Don't get me wrong. I take my job seriously. But I didn't know at 19 or 20, I want to have a restaurant or stuff like that. I didn't know yet. Where'd you go after lingerie? I went to work in the restaurant called Bastide. It was a very high-end French restaurant also. And I stayed over there four years. Then after I went to Las Vegas, experienced Las Vegas. Oh, oh oui, monsieur. It was very interesting, I would say. All my life, I worked in frou-frou restaurant and very frou-frou when I went to Las Vegas to work to open a concept restaurant. So actually, it was a good experience for me. I learned a lot about managing computers. I mean, all number, all this thing I never learned how to do before. So Las Vegas was 
not very good experience for creativity, because when you put a concept together, you cannot change the menu. But it was a great experience for me, to 32 years old, to learn what is the American system. How American open more restaurants, more restaurants, and how they do that. I'm amazed with that, how you do in America, I guess. Because French people, we don't know how to do that like you guys. You have the one and you perfect it, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. You're right. Yeah, you're right. But I love also to develop a concept and to open more restaurants. It's very challenging too. I love to be consistent. It's hard. I have two same restaurants, Petit Trois. It's hard to have the same food in both locations. It's so hard. You know, the plating or people do recipe. I mean, it's hard. But I learned that in Las Vegas. It was great. I worked with the, the, I opened a restaurant called Lavo in Las Vegas, you know, and it was a great experience. What's your favorite part about opening a restaurant? Like when you open a second Petit Trois, is that nerve wracking for you? Is there a part that's exciting or is a part that nerve wracking? It's about to uh, be exciting. And when you open a new restaurant, usually it's a different area. You know, when I opened the second Petit Trois, it was in Chemin Oaks in the Valley. And I was very excited. Sorry to bring French food to the valley because it was not very a lot of French restaurants in the valley. So I was very excited to bring butter to the valley. I was, you know, like uh, sharing all the food I like from France. So I was excited sharing and cook for people really and give happiness. That's what's exciting to give a smile to people. When people tell me, oh my God, I feel like in France here, yeah, there's the best reward. You know, I want people to feel in France when they go to Petroit with the food, not with the service. Okay. Yeah. The service in France is pretty rude. So. <laughs> I want to be okay, guys. I don't know. I think it's overrated. I don't hire French waiter, guys. No, I think it's overrated. I've been a few times. That, you know, everyone like prepares you like, be careful. It could be so rude. But wherever we went, I feel like every, people were lovely. We skipped ahead a little bit. I'm curious about, so you have this idea at some point for Ludo Bites, this pop-up series before pop-ups were a thing, quite frankly. How did that come about? And what was the goal of that? It was in 2007, 2008. Didn't you know exactly what I want to do if I want to open my own restaurant or work for somebody else. So I didn't know exactly what to do. I was starting to look for a location for a restaurant and it was very difficult to find locations. Still, it was a recession, but it was still very difficult to raise money. On 2007, 2008, so it was very uh, tricky time to raise money for a restaurant. And it was very difficult and uh, I was trying to raise money. And in the meantime, I was very bored of done cooking. It was take, it take like one year and I did nothing for one year to try to raise money to do my own restaurant. And I was so tired of not cooking. So I asked a friend of mine who has a French bakery called Bright Bar and uh, he was not using this restaurant the night. So I asked him if I can just use the restaurant the night to rent it to him. I said, I bring my food. I bring my team at four, at three o'clock is closing this restaurant for lunch. And at five o'clock is Ludo. So we're sharing the restaurant and I was paying your rent, paying my all my staff. So it was perfect during recession. I'm sure we support each other, but it was good for me to just have a platform. Not, I don't need to invest money really to cook, you know, because in this restaurant I have everything, plate, silverware, or table, equipment for cooking. So it was great. It was just for me, just really to buy the food hire some few waiters and some few cooks and just create this pop-up for one month here. And after we did three months and after the concept was working very well and I get a lot of press and people was calling me after to do a pop-up with them. And I become after the pop-up chef because I was doing to so many different restaurants and it was a good model, good business, a model for me to, uh, to express myself cooking, but also make a little bit of money. 
was great. I mean, you did nine, probably more of these pop-ups in LA. You did one in Hawaii, I saw, and you've crashed OpenTable's <laughs> website yes. two, two times. Two times, yes. And you were booking six weeks of reservations in 47 seconds. Yeah, it was crazy. That's impressive, yeah. Yes. I don't know why it was so popular with Dobite, you know. It was just all the time it was a different location, different menu. It was really about creativity. And at that time, it was a lot of bloggers too. So the bloggers, we want the scoop. So they came a lot. I become friends with all the bloggers. And it was cool. You just somebody come to your restaurant and the next day you're on the online. It was cool, but I like that. I mean, I like it. Yes and no, it depends. Sometimes the review not always good, but I like it. It was good to work with the blogger. I was going to say, how do you stay grounded through all that? You know, I'm not a big ego guy. So I was just was doing my thing and I was just so happy to cook for people. I did not realize too much of success. It was more my wife managing that, you know. You feel good. I mean, you feel good. People want to eat your food. You feel good to give uh, happiness to people. Yeah, you feel good. You know, it's great. And you have, I was feeling reward, you know, for all the work, all the years I worked very hard. It was great to see the line, you know, in the, in the restaurant. It was great. So Pulitzer Prize winning critic, Jonathan Gold, rest in peace, said this pop-up, by the way, I wore this shirt for you today. Oh, that's cool, man. Thank you, Andrew. That's great. That's my that's Jonathan your, Gold shirt. Only, only special occasions. That's great. That's a good shirt. Pulitzer Prize winning critic Jonathan Gold said this pop-up was, quote, a transforming moment in the Los Angeles restaurant scene. How did that make you feel? I mean, great. I mean, it was a good thing. I was very creative at that time. And I have no pressure. No pressure, Kathy. You know what? It was, we, we were not walking. You're not busy. It's fine. I'm closing the door. I don't lose any money. Also, I, can, I was really expressing myself, cook the food for my heart. And I was very me at that time. It was great. I was not cooking for the critic because it was no pressure. I did not invest money or I don't need to pay back money. So when you open up your own restaurant, your own money, you're scared to have a bad review or stuff like that because for business. Me at that time, I was just not scared of anything. It was great. So I think it really pushed my creativity and to be different. And I was putting rap, French rap music over there, bumping over there. I mean, I love it. It was really something magical. I was putting French music rap. A lot of people putting rap now in the restaurant. I wanted to say like you were ahead of your time with that, but like you weren't. It was the perfect time. It was just the perfect time. It was just, uh, yeah. I was, you know what, Andrews, all my life I wore in the French fufu restaurant. I was thinking like a straight jacket, like to always do the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing, Andrew, or cook for the critique, cook for the news. I mean, just really need the best and just, I, I, I did not see exactly the wall. I was just behind this wall and my white jacket and just cooking French food or fufu. And when I become to do this uh, pop-up restaurant, it was just not fufu. It was the opposite of fufu. And I realized I can cook cheap food and not too expensive, be affordable to everybody. It was a real pleasure. Before all my life, I worked in fancy restaurants and it was expensive to go over there. And for the first time, I was reaching a different clientele. It was, I mean, also the, the fancy clientele too, but also a new clientele. Young people, it was just so cool for me. I just love it. I was so happy. Speaking of critics and awards and all that, I want to talk for another minute about awards and accolades and Forgive me if I butcher some of these titles, but I want to rattle off some of these and then I have a question. Bear with me. Prestigious Mobile Travel Guide five-star award at two different restaurants. Mac twice named LA's best restaurant by LA Weekly. Petit Trois 2015 James Beard finals for best new restaurant and included in 2019 Michelin Gourmand. 
Both restaurants were included in LA Times 2018 101 Restaurants We Love list. You, a world's 50 greatest chefs by Relais Chateau. James Beard Award finalist for Rising Star Chef, Best Chef in the West, Best Culinary Program for Hosting Mind of a Chef. And I'll, I'll stop here, but there's more. Featured in Esquire, Food and Wine, GQ, plenty more. Yeah, it's good. We have, we have a lot of rewards. <laughs> we get it, everybody listening? Do we understand? What, if anything, do these mean to you? I mean, what mean to me to get award, you know, for example, when I get my first Michelin star, when I get a Michelin star at Tramek, I was very proud of me, very proud of my team. It was more the reward for my team because they worked so hard for me. And I know I'm behind them and sometimes I'm hard with them too, like very perfectionist. So I can be a little bit intense sometimes in a good way. You know, so I was very, it was a reward as well for my team. We worked very hard for me and I respect that a lot. The reward I never win is James Beer. Always get a James Beer. I never win James Beer. Just nominate, but never win. Never win James Beer. I think I'm too old now. Too late. Too many people that should have won James Beard. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but you know, but I think the reward is more for the team. Look at people when they work so hard and they're so proud after. And me, I'm happy for because the reward is help for business. You know, definitely. I realized when I get my Michelin star, the business went up. It's true. The first two or three months, it was the business was much better. So a good review. Reward really you really help for business. Everything help for business. There is one that you can say you received that plenty of chefs have not received, and that was in December of 2015. You received the prestigious award from your home country. Oh, where you? Are. I love this one. Yeah, you're right. Of, of France. You're right. Yeah, yeah. This award honors those who've made an important contribution to the arts in France or to France's cultural and artistic legacy. It's the most significant art specific honor conferred by the French government. How does this one feel? This one I was very proud. Seriously, yeah. I think it was, one, it was my favorite. Seriously, to have an award from your uh, minister and your president and you'll be recognized by French government, all the French thing I'm doing for the country, outside the country. And so it was great. Really, was very proud to be French. I don't even want to try. I'm Chevalier des Arts de Lettres. Yeah. yeah, Chevalier des Arts. So you get this big award, you have this big medal, it's so cool. Little thing to put in your jacket. So it's so cool. It was, I was very proud of that. Seriously. I, for, I always forgot about this one. I don't know why, but I love this one. Yeah. At what moment did you feel like you made it as a chef? I think every day I think I, I did not made it. I'm still, I'm 51 years old and I'm still looking for a new project to open a new restaurant. I feel I did not make it yet. I don't think so. I give myself until to cook until 65 or 70. Seriously, I just love it so much. I want to establish some few restaurants now. And after I can still want to go in the kitchen at 70, see the young people and stuff like that. So I think I made it when, uh, yeah, when I don't need to cook anymore or just enjoy my restaurant. And now I'm still really involved with everything and I love it. But I think I will made it. I will just come and come to the restaurant and say hi to the guests and say hi to the team and like to have a Willie in my restaurant running without me. How is Ludo the chef versus Ludo the TV personality versus Ludo the husband and father? Do you have kids, uh, Capi? Yeah. I, mean, you I have, have three-year-old twins. <laughs> what a bash. How are you busy too? I have twins too. You're going to be busy, buddy. But anyway, I did a lot of TV when I was young and uh, I look a little bit intense on TV. I know that. I'm very intense when I cook. I'm very passionate and always look mad on TV because I do some mistakes all the time on TV. I don't think so. I'm a TV chef for competition. 
it's too much pressure for me. It's too quick. I don't know. You know, anyway. But yeah, what was the question? The difference with Ludo, the chef versus... Yeah. So I would say I'm not a TV chef. I'm not. I'm more like in my kitchen and I get so frustrated on TV because I don't find the equipment or you just want to work to cook. And I mean, I love competition, but I prefer to do my own competition in my kitchen. You know what I mean? Are you more calm? I'm more calm. But now I'm more calm. I'm 15 years old. And the twins really calm me down to have kids really teach me patience. Patience, patience. You're going to see that. You're going to patient. See, you have twins. You know, you have two. It's hard. When you have two kids at the same time, it's hard. It's amazing, but it's hard. And that really teach me how to be more patient with young kids. I mean, now I'm 51 years old. The cook I have in my kitchen, they're 20 years old. It's insane. It's Maybe they can be my kids. My God. It's so crazy now. I hear them talking, go out, whatever. It really, you know, that uh, create me memory when I was with their age. But uh, the TV, I mean, I love TV because it brings business and I love like, I enjoy to manage the chef because manage the chef was really like teaching people and try to inspire people how to cook. I love TV like that. Competition, I'm doing that too, but just now, just judging. That's it. I'm too old for competition. Do you think the 20 year old cooks in your kitchen teach you patience that translates to your home, or do you think more so your kids at home teach you patience that translates to the kitchen? Interesting. I think I have more patience with, uh, if you answer right, with my cook. Because I feel, I mean, so my kids, I need to teach them about life. But good, I cannot give them a hard time if I don't teach them. So if they don't do a good job, it will be my fault because I did not train them enough. So I'm more patient with them. Sometimes I don't have the time to spend enough time with them in the kitchen when I feel bad. So when I go to teach them how to do it, I don't scream. I say, no, I want it like that. Because it's very important for me to teach them the way I want the food. My kids, I need to teach them how to life. But... God, they just answer back, my kids. The staff in the kitchen don't answer back. My kids answer back. You're 11 years old now. It's crazy. I'm afraid I'm going to be a teenager. But you know, it's so much respect in the kitchen, so... What one word would your kids use to describe you? I just say maniac. Like, I always, I always clean everything behind themselves. How you call that in English? Like, I clean everything for them. It's crazy. They are just 11 years old. The kitchen when they cook, because they cook sometimes. Always cleaning the couch, because it's so much thing on the couch, or their bedroom. I'm just cleaning everything for them. I don't know if I have a for that, but I feel like the... Yeah, it's crazy. What one word would your sous chef use to describe you? Props. I repeat a lot myself, so probably perfectionist. I love to make sure the food is perfect and make sure they understand what I want. It's very important for me to translate to them. So I would say, yes, really communication, perfectionist, you know, something like that, yeah. How about your wife? What word would she use? French, boy. Crops. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> your kids cook a lot, you said? They into food? Uh, my son, my son. Yeah, he still loves to cook. He's cooking this egg sometimes in the morning, doing this omelette. So it's good. It's good, this little boy. It's good. He loved to eat. It was like me when I was a kid. I really see myself in him when I was a kid, like, really love. He, he loved, Luca loved to eat. Like, he's like, oh, papa, c'est bon, papa, c'est bon, mm, papa, mort, c'est bon. It's crazy. I love to eat this food. It's cool. I was very proud of my kid when they were like seven or eight years old. They eat a lot and everything. And now they don't eat everything. It's so complicated now. Like, you just want pasta, pizza. I mean, still with a chef, you know, I cook every day. Ours are only three and I feel like they still go they were starting to eat food and they were eating everything. I was like, this is amazing. And then they yeah, stop yeah. and then they start and then they yeah. stop. And we're going to see after when the twins have different tests. It's challenging too. 
You see, Gabby, you see. Already one of them loves, you know, sweet things for dessert, loves the piece of chocolate. The other one thinks they want it. They take a bite and one bite. That's it. They're done. Yes. Very interesting test. All right. I want to touch upon giving back, social impact and charity work. As I mentioned before, we started recording. Chefs are just so much more than a photo someone takes in your restaurant, a certain dish. And as you all can get, you, you can be invited to a different event every weekend, a different event in your city every week and give away this dinner and this cooking class and you know this and that. But I, I'm certain you've worked with a number of different causes or organizations. Can you touch upon some of that work that you do? I know you've done stuff with food banks and whatnot, but I would love for you to touch upon any, whether it's specific organizations you're welcome to share more about, what motivates you to give back also. Mm-hmm. The, the foundation I work a lot where uh, when I can, when I do a TV show, I uh, always give some money to, to an organization. I, I work a lot with the World Central Kitchen, with Rose-Langeois kids. I really love what they're doing. One who really need food right away, every, uh, every occasion, everywhere in the world, when you have a need food for fit people, is Rose and his team, they are already on the field and they are so well organized. And it's amazing what they're doing. And during COVID, I work a lot with World Central Kitchen for my restaurant. And it really helped me also to stay alive because I was doing every day 400, 400 meals for uh, people at the hospital, people at the church to help. And it really helped me to keep my staff and to keep the restaurant open. Yeah, it was great. I mean, both sides is great. You help them, they're helping you too. That's what's amazing. It was, it was really amazing what World Central Kitchen did during the COVID. And what they're still doing now is crazy. To be in Ukraine or whatever, it's just it's amazing. It's dangerous what they do. It's just a medical fire. I mean, uh, tsunami. Or they're always everywhere. It's crazy. I don't know what they do. And you've done a lot with like food banks out there in yes. LA and whatnot. Too, yeah, yeah? I something with food banks. I went to pack the food with my kids. And things like that, I always take my kids to. Do you? I was going to ask you, do you instill yeah, that I in them? That's great. We do a lot of charity too, working with me, packing the food. We did a lot with the thing with homeless, with my wife during the COVID and go with my kids, give them food, did a little letter for the homeless. I mean, we met some family, they're homeless. It was great. I want my kids to see that too. It's life. It's, it's life. I want to learn about life. How do you decide what event or how do you decide what you're going to give to or donate your time to? First, first, on do is looking at the schedule. I make sure the schedule I have time to do that. So when I want to do an event or uh, do a charity event, whatever, I make sure I have time to really uh, be involved 100%. So I look at my schedule first if I'm available. And after, it's really to see what the cause. I mean, all cause, they are great cause. I mean, this is not bad cause. So why I'm going to do, you know, what charity... Or how I decide that. The first one was reaching me. And uh, most of the time I say yes. But uh, sometimes now it's a little more difficult because staffing now is a little difficult in restaurant business. So to do an event now of a thousand people or 600 people, it's, it's a lot of mise en place and a lot of staff to bring it to you. So a little challenging now. But most of the time, I mean, I do like, uh, I would say, maybe six charity every year. I try to do six, you know, six events. If I can do eight, I do eight. But I try to have a minimum to do every year. So it's great. You feel good after that, you know. To do some cooking is also, you know, cooking for uh, raising money and help people and sharing. So it's good to do charity. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Actually, you know what I want to do since this is our season finale? I want to say something that I say often during the podcast, during this 
part of the discussion, but there's multiple ways to give. It could be money, it could be your voice, and it could be your time. You know, it could be $1 or $1,000 or $100, or it could be 30 minutes of volunteering a month, or it could be a social media post, whether you may have 100 followers or a million followers, but someone's seeing that message. So I always tell people, don't not do good for your community or cause you support. If you don't have all the money in the world, there's a lot of ways to get involved. So. You can be involved, exactly. Because as a chef, it's amazing we can give our time like that. It's great to do waste some money with the food. Absolutely. All right, let's do a quick speed round and then we'll close it out with another question or two. Number one, what did you have for dinner last night? Oh, roasted chicken and potato. Delicious. It was good. Father's Day. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was good. Happy belated Father's Day. Name a smell in the kitchen you love. Fresh bread, baking. Breaking fresh bread. Name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Bleach. What pisses you off in the kitchen? Dirty kitchen. Dirty kitchen. What makes you happy in the kitchen? The cook when they smell like clean kitchen. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like very organized and run very well. You know what I mean? Like in the army. That's what makes me happy. Name a go-to snack in your pantry. Oh, uh, cereal and meat. Yeah? I love cereal. Cheerios and meat. I love that. I love our cornflakes. So I love this thing. I eat that lot the afternoon. I love it. How about summer grilling season? We're right here in the middle of summer. Do you grill a lot at home? Do you have any favorite things to put on a bun or a roll or anything like that? I cook a lot. I mean, I love to cook burger, of course, on the barbecue. And I have a great setup in my house. So I cook a lot. And it's always nice in California. We're lucky. But uh, definitely, uh, I love to cook burger and the fish taco, like, like fish taco. Do a lot of fish, fish taco. I love it. All right. So on the homepage of your website, there's a quote that says, I started working in Michelin star kitchens at the age of 14. I spent 20 years learning from France's greatest chefs. I cherish my training and do my best to pass along this knowledge to everyone that works with me. It is my commitment to those who taught me. We've had a number of chefs on the podcast that say things like, I stand on the shoulders of those who stood before me is, you know, what a couple of them have said. What do you hope that future chefs will say about you? I mean, uh, what I hope when I see, you know, when I see all my chefs who work for me and now they start to be successful, get mission star, I hope they see me like there are some I really treat them like my protege. So I hope they're going to tell I uh, inspire them a lot in their life, but also in their cooking. And I hope they... F- think about me all the time, they create a recipe. I feel a lot about my chef when I cook. Still, after the 20 years, 30 years, I'm still remember what my chef teach me and I feel like they're next to me sometime, like critic me or whatever. I feel they're going to feel like that. Like I'm with them all the time for creativity and support. And yeah, I want them to see me as their, their uh, mentor, you know. First, to teach somebody, I mean, I love to teach. So my, my first job is really t- to teach. I love to teach my cook, people, it's very important for me to pass all my knowledge and teaching. Finally, Chef, what is next for Ludo? Some people are like, oh, nothing. I don't want another restaurant. You know, and we've had this conversation during the past hour or so, and it's been, it's interesting. You know, you come from that background of one restaurant in France or perfecting that one, and now you came here. One restaurant, that's it. Yeah. And then you, you learn growth and business and all this stuff here. So more restaurants, more... more you know, work. I always say I want to have one restaurant and be over there at my restaurant every day. Like my old chef, like Marc Meno, he had one restaurant and it was amazing. But life changed now, life changed and I have kids to take care of. I'm 51 years old, but I still want to do my dream restaurant. I did not open my dream restaurant yet. What is it? It's more like a chic South of France restaurant. I love the food of South of France. Grilled vegetables, olive oil, grilled meat, grilled fish, tartare, raw, colorful, crudité. 
I love this home. I love this food in South of France. I love it. And that's the restaurant I want to create. And I'm working on that now to open my first South of France restaurant. Because Petit Roi is more heavy food, more like food, Burgundy, Paris, a little bit of Carcassonne. I mean, it's a lot of butter. We love butter, but it's butter. Okay. I want to do something more light. People love it, but uh, I want to do a restaurant more light, more California French. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And uh, reopen my uh, Mission Star restaurant. I'm going to open it. Yeah, I miss it. I can't wait. Yeah, I miss it so much. It's crazy. I was thinking I will be done. I'm 51 years old. I said I'm going to be done with a Michelin star or whatever restaurant. And you know what? No, I just miss it. I, I grew up with that. I, I learned that. And it's in me. I need to open my fancy restaurant. Yeah, there's something about being raised or taught in the fancy restaurant and learning that, like you said, like the precision and the technique and all that. And then, you know, maybe loosening up a little bit and opening something a little more casual and it sounds fun. And then you want to go back and... Yeah, because I was, I was finished with that after COVID. I closed it during COVID. And I said, I'm done with that. And I miss it. I miss it like, a, like yeah, it's crazy. It's on me. I need to. So I'm working on that now also to reopen Tromek restaurant and work on Ludo restaurant, my dream restaurant. Ouais, ça va. And make Petit Roi better every day because it's hard. Has to be consistent. Be creative. You know, Capcabi is very easy, but to be consistent is so hard. It's so That's hard. That's the hardest thing. I say that to everyone. I remember over 20 years ago when I was in school, I had this incredible marketing professor. And I tell this like story to everyone when they say, how's this place busy? How's that place busy? I say, they're consistent. The food may not be the best, but you know what you're going to get every time. It's so hard not to do that. It's so hard, yeah. All right, Chef. I appreciate your time. It was awesome to chat. And hopefully next time I'm in LA, I'll pop by one of the spots. Yes, and, please, let uh, me know. I will be very happy to cook for you. Please, awesome. okay? I okay. love that. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you, Gapi. Appreciate it. Have bye a good bye. day. I'll see All you right. too. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Chef Ludo Lefebvre. Find more on him at ludolefebvre.com. That's L-U-D-O-L-E-F-E-B-V-R-E.com. To learn more about World Central Kitchen, go to wck.org. We'll share a link to those websites in the episode notes and at beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media at On Cappy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is also on social at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetten, Sean Petrosian. Our digital media producer is Sarah McClellan Me. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, special shout out to my wife, Katie. If you have a moment, we'd love and appreciate it if you could rate or review and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy. And remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.